It's another season of Planner Parlay, a show where we come together under a flag of truce to talk about small agency planning. We're back and ready to tackle the world we live in today. It's not the new normal, but the new strange. The last few months have been a learning experience from transitioning to remote work to changing the way our industry is talking about, relating to, and being a part of society. In this week's episode, we're mapping this new landscape with Rashad Tabakawala, author and advertising futurist out of Chicago, Kathy Taylor, U.S. Commissioning Editor at Work in New York City, and of course, John Roberts, CSO of Truth Collective in Rochester, New York, as they provide insight into how planners can thrive under these new terms and what it means for small agencies. Pull up a chair and listen in. Welcome to you both, and thank you for making the time. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So as we talked about earlier, Rashad, we're going to coin your phrase of the subject for today is really to think about the world of the new strange, not the new normal, but the new strange that we all live in now and will continue living in the future, both in terms of some of the pitfalls and lessons that particularly from your experience, you're seeing and learning both from an agency side and client side. But before we get into that, I'd love to know, how have the past couple of months been for you and what have you learned about yourself? Kathy, let's start with you. That is a really interesting question. It's funny because in a way I've gone back in time, which is to say that I was a consultant for 18 years and I worked from home. And then I took this great job with work about a year ago, excited to go back into the city. And now I find myself working from home again all the time. So it, it's really caused me, I guess, to look at what I value. And while I value working from home, I'm one of those people who is also itching to get back into the city, at least partly. And it also, I think, has made me really reassess how I go about my work, because this is a really full-time, intense job and a very intense period for work. So I find myself constantly sort of reevaluating how it is I, I go about my work and balance everything out so I can spend more time with my kids who are both here right now and spend time with my husband and kind of value this interesting time for some of the good that comes out of it and not all of the sad and tragic parts that are coming out of it. Great, great way to think about it. And how about you, Rashad? What have you learned about yourself? What I learned about myself is that if it was not for the circumstances that have caused this, which is, as Kathy mentions, the tragic outcome of COVID-19, which continues, this has probably been the funnest three months of my life. And there are two reasons for it. One is... I used to travel a lot on planes and did about 140 flights a year. And at the beginning of this year, I did 27 or 28 till March 12th. I began to realize that I don't need to fly at all, actually, to do what I do because I'm now a starving author versus (laughs) a business person. Uh, So that was one. And the second is, it. so in that it's given me a lot more time than I ever had before. The amount of time you spend switching between things, going to places between meetings is a big deal. And the second, which is also unusual, is I now am in total control of my days. So I have a routine. It's not even a routine as much as a ritual. And uh, that has allowed me to both, I think, 
physically be healthier. I've lost 15 pounds because I don't eat outside as much. And when they stopped the restaurants, I didn't go drinking my draft beer. And I've learned a lot of more stuff because I have much more time to read and create and watch movies. And my wife and I always got along for the last 40 years, so that wasn't a problem. So that was good. So all in all, it's turned out to be actually relatively positive. And because I was going from a business career to a writing career, mm -hmm. the fact that everybody is at home has turned out to be an advantage because the disadvantage of me being at home and everybody in the office has been also offset. Very true. It's interesting, you know, both of your learnings, it seems to me, shift a, a, a common fear or concern, okay, of the world of COVID that we've all lived in and suddenly dramatically working from home, as you've both talked about. But instead of it being constrictive or restrictive, it's actually, you're both talking about it becoming expansive. Yes. Yeah, I, I think one, one thing that's really, really been interesting is that I've discovered a lot more about this this area I've lived in for 20 years than I ever had. And I live in a town that borders the Bronx. And my husband and I have gone on these great bike rides, well, not only to Orchard Beach, which is fairly close by, but also all these other parts that I just never discovered in those 20 years. So that's really kind of fascinating. And I hear those stories repeated quite a lot, actually. So worlds of exploration, the mental and the, and the physical, the geography. Yeah. Yeah. I actually wrote a piece called Constrained Growth. Sometimes, so go ahead, Tell me more. So, so, you know, sometimes when you are constrained to what Kathy mentions and there are sort of limitations, it allows you to sort of both focus, think what's important, why would you certain do certain things. So once I'm allowed to roam free, which I have been allowed to because Chicago's open faster than anybody, so, so for instance, today, restaurants are open. Internal, inside restaurants are open to 25% capacity. External restaurants have been open for three weeks. A whole bunch of stuff is open. What I've begun to realize is there were things that I was really missing, one of which was draft beer, eating great food. Uh -huh. But there was a lot of things that I had sort of started doing through almost habit. And you know, one of my beliefs is when you start or stop doing something for 60 to 90 days, you change your habit. So in some cases, I said, why do I want to do this again? I was just doing it from a post of habit. Uh, so it allows you to focus, decide what's important, what isn't important. And when I was a account person and was helping write creative briefs, people would always tell me, you know, the more constrained in the brief, the more we can run roam free. And I therefore have basically believed that a lot of people should take these 90 days or the next 90 days, because I don't think the world's getting back to normal till 2021 to significantly think about how they reinvent themselves, what's important, what isn't important. And one of the key things I'm suggesting to people who have the option, now we have 40 million people without a job. Uh, we have a lot of people under a lot of fragility, a lot of pressure. But for those who can, I'm suggesting strongly that they consider massively cutting their cost of living. Mm -hmm. Because I said, it'll give you degrees of freedom. Obviously, don't move out of your house, but for instance, We've, we're traveling less, obviously we're shopping less, we're going out eating less. And oddly, it's opened up those funds to do other things and interesting things. So in many ways, one can look at this and say the world has come to an end. And unfortunately for a lot of people, it has, both from a health and financial perspective, and it's a huge portion. But for other people who are fortunate that may have some flexibility, 
don't complain that much. Think about this as a time of reinvention and have be grat you know be grateful that you're healthy and you don't have to worry about food. Yeah, it's a great way of thinking about it. In fact, it ties into Kathy. You were talking earlier about you know bike rider free, okay? And it's a great way of actually exploring and thinking about what what matters to you. This notion of of reinvention, I, I feel, is is clearly okay a common theme in terms of what you're both learning from your writing perspectives. Okay, so Rashad, in terms of the book with restoring the soul of business, there has to be a level of reinvention and new focus in that. And Kathy, similarly with you and I were talking about the new CMO study from Wall, about understanding about what is how to turn leadership to action during and I imagine post-pandemic in the new strange we're going to be in. What about, talk to me, Kathy, talk to me a little bit, if you would, about, um, I'm thinking about the, the CMO report, but just generally speaking, from your editorial perspective and understanding the world that we're, we're, we're in now, what do you think are some key points about this notion of reinvention for leaders in our, in our world? Well, one of the things that led to that report was being able to sit in on a lot of meetings, thanks to a partnership we have with the ANA, with a lot of CMOs and really talking to them a lot of the time off the record, frankly, about what their concerns were and what they were finding. And one of the things that has really stood out to me is that to a person, they all mentioned how quickly their organizations can move. And it's, it's really surprising to most of them. They didn't realize that they could in fact act like a startup, even though I think for quite a few years, there's been a lot of talk about how traditional companies have to act like startups. Well, well guess what? A pandemic will do that for you, partly yeah. because you're in many cases in, in a kind of desperate place. All of a sudden, people can't come to your restaurant, but uh, you have to reorient around a totally takeout business and, and things like that. And so that has been really surprising. And if there's anything that that CMOs seem to want to take from this experience and continue once we are back in the blissful world where there is no pandemic, it's that they want to be able to keep up this speed with which they can reinvent and that that just stands out to me every time because it doesn't matter what category you're in what country you're from that is just something that we're seeing that is a real kind of reinvention for these companies that that may you know persist over the long term you know that's funny because we all, we all know okay in the world that we, we predominantly live in in terms of from a marketing and agency client brand relationship this notion about agility has been on forefront for many of us in discussions for the last few years, but now is a, has been forced, like you were saying, Kathy. And it's, it's refreshing to hear that actually it's becoming really, really evident to, as you've said, the CMO drivers, that it isn't just about coping with now, it's about that new habit, Rashad, you talked about, about the future, right? Rashad, does that reflect well? When you think about how, in some ways, how prescient, okay, because the, the, the book came out before COVID was even a thing. Are there, are there elements from your perspective in the book that reflect well in terms of what Kathy was talking about, that notion for agility and reinvention? Absolutely. And one of the chapters in my book is about change and how difficult it is to change unless you basically have certain pressure points and realities and urgencies, which to Kathy's point, we basically have had. And in many ways, one of the resistance to change sometimes within organizations not the only resistance, but sometimes a place, 
tell you to be upper senior management, upper senior middle management, and and lower senior management. And to Kathy's point, over the past three months, all of them have been zoomed into the future. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so do we believe these, these as you mentioned earlier, Rashad, these new habits are, are how much of that is going to remain? So it's, it's hard to tell, but you know, fundamentally, I believe that there are human needs and those human needs, the need for interaction, the need for connection, you know, the, 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 new, the need for being part of a community, those don't go away. Mm. Uh, and, you know, it isn't that people aren't going to go to baseball games and they won't want to do other things, etc. That's going to happen. I think what's going to begin to happen is people are going to do three big behavioral changes. One is, like in my case, there'll be certain things that they were doing just through inertia, and then they'll say, do I want to restart those things? Mm -hmm. And it might be anything from you know, eating or going to certain place habits, etc. So they may think about that. So it's just that, hey, the certain things we were just doing by habit, it was not a human need, we're just doing it. So they'll revisit. Some they'll continue, some they won't. Second is there are certain things that they underappreciated, which they will actually end up doing more of, because they'll basically say this, I don't, can't do this anymore, and I didn't realize that these small things gave me great joy, and sometimes the big things won't give me great joy. So my particular belief is that there's going to be less business travel, not that there won't be business travel, but there'll be less business travel, and there'll be probably less going to offices, and this will be probably a long-term change. Again, I'm not saying there will not be business travel and they will not be going to offices, but I would anticipate that there's a likelihood that between 20 to 30% less of each, and in some industries, maybe 50%, which is pretty, pretty dramatic. Yeah, absolutely. Kathy, how does that reflect on some of the things you've been learning and thinking about from Walk's perspective? Well, I think we've, we've obviously and maybe not so obviously, we've been thinking a lot about what marketing's role really is, which is not to say this isn't a topic that we could have discussed five years ago or 10 years ago. But one thing that also keeps coming up in all these meetings that I've been on is sort of the role of the, of, of, I don't even want to say the consumer, I would say people in all of this and how insights on how we are changing as people in regards to a lot of things. Some of the things that Rashad just mentioned, you know, other very specific things like how we feel about what safety means to us and how to reassure us to go back there. I think so much of that is really on our minds right now, you know, and what are those habits going to be that are going to continue and what things will we go back to? You know, I do think people are going to be very anxious to get out into the world a bit, but for instance, some of the, the fast food companies we've talked to see older people finally using the mobile app to order. And once that habit is ingrained, they're probably not going to slip, slip back to not doing that ever again. It'll probably continue. And so uh, to me, I think the most interesting nexus in this whole thing is going to be what, what persists and, and what things we end up, what habits we had that we'll end up going back to and where that intersection will be. Great perspective. Can I touch on something? Because again, Richard, it is a, it's a course, a powerful theme within the book about restoring the soul of business. 
and the discussions that I've been having a lot recently, as, as I'm sure Kathy and, and, and Richard you have about brands, we spent we spent many years thinking about what's um, a brand's purpose. It's uh, deeper, more powerful value to the world than purely delivering on a functional level. But what we're seeing more and more, particularly, and I'd love your perspective on it, and Kathy, particularly whether this came out loud and clear from the CMO study, perhaps, when we dived in there. We're seeing that we think that brands need to be less about purpose and more purposeful. A deliberate move, not just about in terms of what we believe, but also how we're backing it up with actions. So, Kathy, is that something that came through? Have you seen that as well? Or, of course, correct me in terms of what you've been seeing and, and believe. Well, there's a, a popular phrase, actions, not ads. And I'm not at all sure that the industry lives up to that. Mm-hmm. There are individual marketers that do, but I think people kind of realize these things now. And especially when it comes to Black Lives Matter, it gets even deeper because the thing I think people are waking up to is that this is so far beyond certainly advertising and purpose. It really is everything to do with how you manage your business. So if you're Nike, you can you can certainly come out with a very powerful advertising around Colin Kaepernick, but how well are you living up to everything behind that? And I'm seeing a, quite a bit of research that says consumers are going to begin to uh, vote with their wallets when it comes to all this. Whether that will map out, I don't know, but, but, but that's a lot of the type of thing that, that we're noticing. And Richard, of course, there's the ulterior purposes you talk about in the book, but also from your personal perspective, as you write in the book, and we've talked about, about uh, the growing need for diversity. Talk a little bit more about that, Rashad. So, you know, I yesterday wrote a piece, again, building on what Kathy mentioned, that the new ESG is also ESG, but ENS and G are different. So a lot of companies who talk about purpose and values eventually link it to environmentalism, society, not society, but social and governance. You know, governance is making sure that they don't have things like cheating and inside the way they run their organization. And social is very broad. It's a very broad fabric. It involves everything from community to employees. And environmental is environmental. And I believe that because those have become so broad and so much what, as I say, are ideas that wander freely on people's websites, and that's where they stay, that they should be replaced by a new ESG of which it is employee, society, and government. And the first is, if you cannot look after your own employees, don't tell us about anything else. That's number one. Second is, think about how you are both hurting or helping society. So, for instance, the the you know, one of my big beliefs has been Facebook is not an advertising operating system. It's a society operating system, and it's sucking at its society role. And, 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 the and we're third starting is, to see the negative impact of that, right, as people are moving with their actions. Okay, yes, and, and the third out. one, exactly, and the third one is government. Hmm. And what I mean by government is we've now understood that government and proper governance matters. And many of these companies who talk a good game go out of their way to avoid paying taxes. Hmm. Okay, so my own stuff is... If you're doing a whole bunch of loopholes, you can't look after your employees and you're basically pilfering society. I don't want to hear about your ESG. I don't want to hear about your purpose. I don't want to hear about your values. And guess what? Everybody's sick and tired and people are saying enough. 
that's the big thing, which is to this whole idea of, you know, acts.ads, but, you know, primarily, like, I, I, I've been increasingly, there's this major shift, which sometimes even the boardrooms are not completely understanding, and then some boardrooms are, and sometimes the marketing people in the boardrooms don't understand. So literally this morning, I spoke with two CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, okay, who called me, and I was speaking to them, and, you know, among the things is, they begin to, they said, you know, it's kind of interesting that we get it and you get it. And sometimes our marketing people don't exactly understand how different the world is today compared to it, what it was 180 days ago. Hmm. You know, on almost every front. And, and to, to Kathy's point, I have this big issue. Like, for instance, where is the ANA in all of this? Mm -hmm. Right? Hiding. Again and again, every time when things get tough, the marketers go hiding. What's that about? So tell me, Kathy, you've spent time with the ANA. What do you think that's about? One is, do you agree? And two is, what, why is that, do you think? Well, I, you know, I don't totally agree. But, I, but again, you, know, you have to see how this is going to map out over the long term. I think they were more forthright in their statement you know, after the murder of George Floyd about how they just had not you know, risen to former occasions concerning diversity where they could have. So I'm hoping that that is the kind of, of progress that will, you know, begin begin to see. But I think one thing is, and, and this, this year certainly sums it up, is that pretty much all industries tend to run from crisis to crisis. So I could, you know, we all could on this call name uh, three or four crises that happened before we got to where we are uh, today. But, you know, if the crisis uh, during, during the end of last year was privacy regulations or early this year that the, you know, that Chrome no longer is, is, is going to accept cookies. Well, yeah, that pretty much pales in comparison to what we're going through right now. So, you know, you don't know. I, it's 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 too easy to get your eye off the ball. So I really hope things are different. But it's very it's it's just very hard to say. I, I don't have a great answer for that. Yeah, you know, and, and I think, and, I, and I'm by the way a fan of the ANA, and if you notice, Bob Dochi also blurb my book but what is basically beginning to happen is it's very very important right now i use the ana not as an organization but as basically that this is where marketers need to come together and speak up right where we're basically in a world where i truly believe that the major platforms which are monopolies are behaving as if marketers are their their suppliers and that the marketers are not the clients. The, the way the marketers go tippy-toeing around these people is incredible. If it was my money, I'd say, come on. But here it's like all tippy-toeing nonsense. And I think that's what a lot of people, including inside organizations, are saying to their management. And it's the reason I think for the first time that a, a company like Facebook might change is primarily because their own employees are rebelling against their management. Like, what the hell are you people doing? Well, I mean, that's one of the key things. Go ahead. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting because I, I have been able to, you know, sit in again off the record on some sure. meetings this last week. And 
um, even though some of the things during uh, Lions Live or virtual can, whatever we'd mm -hmm. like to call it, have, have been public, I think there's a lot of angst that you see within the ANA and its membership about, uh, you know, hate speech in particular. And of course, you know, we come to this conversation, you know, knowing that what, two hours ago, uh, the word is out that Unilever is, is going to uh, cease advertising on Facebook, you know, at least in the U.S. for the rest of the year. So I, I think these things are, um, to, to Rashad's point, it, it's, it's sort of like there, some of them are getting their power back, I think. And, and, and that is, that is a really, really welcome thing, not just about these issues, but just in general, um, that you can't just cede your power to Facebook and, and Google and sort of, you know, kneel at their feet. So one of the things I was wondering when you, you guys were talking, and it's building, I think, on, on this point you, you both are making so well in terms of the changing relationship okay, between the platform and, and the marketers, Kathy, you were just talking about. You both mentioned, and Richard, you picked up on how the marketers don't really understand. Okay, What is it, do you think, that's a barrier to marketers today, client marketers, in terms of understanding and then acting? One of the premises I had, sorry, Rashad, sure. but one, one, of the, one of the questions or hypotheses I had is because it's very, very hard for a marketer who is focused and challenged and um, rewarded on short-term metrics to be able to have a better understanding about significant change. Yeah, uh, and so, I might be wrong, but that, tell me more. What do you think? So I think, first of all, there are many marketers who do get it, so I... You know, sort of blanket statement. Many of them get it, but not as many as you used to. I'll tell you that there are four challenges, and this, and one of them is obviously the they have to deliver the numbers this year because the, I think it's what two or three years is how long they last, uh, the forty x number of months. So they have to do that. So there is that short term, long term thing. But there are three other fundamental challenges that they face. One is that their job has become very different than communications that the original marketing job was about communications and promotions. And now it's about everything from business models to you know corporate communications. And all of these things in the digital world have blended. So what you could keep separate have all sort of come together. So the complexity and speed with which they have to move is much more harder than it's ever been before. So they're grappling with a much harder and a much more broader job than they had. And many of them were not trained for this. Right, uh, and that's why you're seeing many companies actually replacing the CMO with a different type of skill set and calling them either a chief growth officer or something of the sort. So that's the second one, which is the world changed, so you actually aren't aren't good at what you're what you're what you're potentially doing. The the third challenge that they basically have is a very simple one, which is I don't think they have the ability to truly inspire or get the respect of their board that that over years what i've be begun to understand is marketing has become a second class citizen just when it's become extremely important almost no major company has a marketer on its board because i think over over the years it was seen as a cost center and and it was basically seen as not fundamental but now when your partners suppliers or whatever you call them happen to be Google and Facebook and Amazon who in addition to taking your money are going to basically come up with competitors to your business models 
the board should recognize that the conduit to that is the marketing department. But what is basically beginning to happen is that for many years, there's all of the marketing department is people who bought spots and ads and, you know, designed sort of what a brand logo would look like and a positioning statement. But now this is about marketing and business transformation. And the, the biggest challenges that are facing a, any company today in America are not basically their IT infrastructure or how they raise money from credit markets. Those are pretty easy to do outside of obviously, you know, cybersecurity. They're pretty easy to do. It's one of the reasons like the consumer in the financial world has figured out that most of the people in the, in the financial world who are sort of the experts aren't, right? The S&P 500 beats Warren Buffett. So the, it's, it's, it's the, the, the whole idea basically is, so, but remember who's, who is on the boards of these companies? Not only don't we have people who have diversity of color, we don't even have a diversity of background. Almost everyone is legal and financial. So these marketing people can't talk to them. And so the world of marketing is changing, reinventing companies and the CMO can't get the board's attention or the board doesn't respect the CMO at the, at the board level. And the last and the fourth one is we have a talent crisis, which is talent does not come into an industry when the industry basically cannibalizes itself. This is an industry that lives on reducing prices, which therefore means it doesn't generate wealth. So all the people go to Facebook and Google. And one of the reasons why I think CMOs don't call out Facebook and Google because that's where they think their future jobs will be. <laughs> but it's an interesting perspective. But Kathy, tell me more, because again, from, from your world, are you seeing similar threads from what, you've, what you're learning? Yeah, it, well, and, and you go back to sort of the long-term, short-term argument, right? Just with, yeah. with ad spend. So I'm going to sort of drill down into maybe a more specific thing than what Rashad just mentioned. But we all know what the guidance is about how you should uh, advertise during a recession and focus on the long-term and all the good reasons for doing that. And that guidance pretty much holds in this recession, although there are some industries like travel that really can't think of spending in the same way right now. But but the thing I always wonder is, okay, we know that's the guidance, but when the CMO has to go to the CFO and the CEO and say, look, we really should keep spending through this because we're gonna come out of it you know, better a year from now. I mean, I, I just don't know how that conversation goes down. It feels like most of the time that's not treated as a successful argument. And I know that gets sort of deeper into the weeds than what Rashad was just mentioning, but I think it sort of speaks, you know, to the broader broader problem of this focus on the short term. And and so, you know, I we would all love to know how many advertisers really do continue to look at long term during a situation like this. Perfect segue, because it's a, it's an incredibly topical conversation I know for all agencies today about how do we help our clients manage the immediate but also start thinking about, you know, and Richard, let's, let's turn to you in terms of the conversation you and I have had about history may be lying. History says that brands that actually manage well through recession come out exponentially more stronger on the back end. They become more profitable, they become more vibrant quicker than brands that just cut and try and hold the course. But Richard, you and I talked last time around about how history may be lying because this, the, the events we're going through now aren't really true of any other historical event. 
So talk a little bit more yes. about that, Rishat. Yeah, so what what is different this time around is we have both a financial crisis, an economic crisis, a social crisis, and a health crisis. I mean, financial, economic, social, and health all happening at the same time. And this is global. This is not happening in one country. And everybody basically is forced to change their behavior for 90 days. Uh, so as a result, what is standing to happen, and the advice that at least I am providing people, is don't think about restarting your business, think about starting your business. So the last time something like this happened, nothing like, I think 2008-2009 recession was big, but not as big as this. But when it happened, we also had a changing of technology with the birth of mobile phones and the birth of social media, which I call the second connected age. And so when companies came back, they basically looked backwards when they should have been looking around them and forward. So General Motors and Ford did not pay attention to Uber and Tesla. P&G and Schick did not pay attention to Dollar Shave Club and Harry's. So I truly believe that what is different now is the following. A, I truly believe that advertising, and I've said this on the record for the last four years, and I've been so right that people think, they still think I'm drunk, even though I've got four years of data to prove that I'm not, which is advertising is in secular decline, period, over and out in the Western world. It's never coming back. It's secular decline of declining 5% a year, year after year. So if you're in the advertising business as defined as interruptive messages, commercial messages, you are in a business that is at 5% decline. And that's why some of the past is potentially lying to you. However, marketing as understanding and meeting customer requirements and the broad swath of marketing is in a renaissance. It's the reason why, you know, the McKinsey's and Accenture's and Deloitte's are growing and are coming into this particular field. And so that's the big shift that is that is that is starting to happen. And when you combine that with COVID-19, where your customers' behaviors are going to be different moving forward, you have a new category and new competitive sets, you need to think differently. And that is the biggest challenge. So I'm trying to get folks to say, look, instead of having all your Zoom meetings about yesterday or today, let's imagine tomorrow. And it's very easy to imagine tomorrow. The way to imagine tomorrow is think of three things that every person in business does. Travel, going to the office, and going to conventions. Tell me how, to, this is to the point that Kathy has mentioned, tell me how you think in a world where you're looking for safety and for security and for a lot of other things, travel will change, how will the office change, and how will a convention change? Just think about that. People brainstorm amazing ideas and they say, oh my God, the world has changed completely moving forward. And then I said, "And but it hasn't changed for your category or your, or your product, why? Yeah, and and it, even it gets down to like sort of a very like sort of drilled down way in that I just think of, of say a lot of CPG companies now that are selling, you know, direct to customers and, and finally picking up on some of the models that have been out there for a while. And at that point, it's not really advertising, it's marketing. And, and, and so it, it's just interesting to say, see the shift of a company that has opened, you know, a D2C store through all this. And that's just a different kind of relationship with their customers than they, they have had before. So, and maybe some of that will just shift back when we can all go dancing down the aisles of the grocery store without a, a face mask. But again, some of this is for the long term. <laughs> and that is, by the way, a sequel to Kathy's original Dancing Down, which is her, her famous first video 
was dancing down the grocery store. So it'll come back now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just can't. actually, my husband is the one in our house who does most of the grocery shopping. But um, you know, but uh, it's interesting to think about these very mundane experiences, like going to the grocery store, and now it's this this. Um, not if not fearful experience, it's a cautious one. Yes, and that's not going to really that's not going to change anytime soon. And it, and 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 our feelings of safety again are going to be changed for such a long time through this. Even after you know, COVID itself is 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 over and done with. We hope. Yeah. In fact, I think you know there was a you know this is I wrote this between the last time we spoke and now. I've written these series of blog posts called The Great Reinvention, which I may have sort of mentioned. And they were so popular that a lot of people asked me to compile them into like one piece, which I did. It's unfortunately a 12-page PDF or it's a 12-page post. But it's tended to be very popular because it's it's it starts really to the point that Kathy mentions, which is it says let's start addressing the biggest human need that right now is happening is that human society and business is fragile, right? And they're fragile because they're anxious, they're uncertain, and they're fearful. They're anxious about their health, fearful about their jobs, their future, they're uncertain about what this world will look like. And when that happens, what do people look for? They look for safety, they look for security, they look for, you know, put positive signs of what you're doing with regard to society. And if fundamentally brands and marketers and planners don't start with that human truth that we're coming out of in this particular world, then almost everything else doesn't resonate, to Kathy's point. Well, one thing just to follow up on that, one of the interviews I did recently was with the U.S. CMO of McDonald's, and we got talking about what it what they need to do as an organization to communicate safety to their customers and just as an example of how fast things moved, the CMO, Morgan Flatley, said, well, at the beginning of all this, we didn't really think we were going to feel any need to do this really strong messaging around safety. And, and you know, go fast forward two months, and we just sat, we just shot this beautiful video that shows exactly what our crews go through every day to open the restaurant for you. And that, you know, to, to, to say to somebody a year ago that that would have been something McDonald's would have been interested in doing, That's you wouldn't right. even understand it completely That's out of right. context. But even in this two month period, it was like, wow, we have to communicate about how we clean the floor in our restaurant. So that's just just one of these things that is going to these these types of things are just going to persist for a very long time. That's some real interesting for me the gems of the connective threads in terms of what we're seeing on a macro level and then Kathy what you're talking about in terms of the change that we're seeing on micro I'd love to think about I'd love your perspective the pod we, we think about the planner parlay is about ways for any agency strategist to particularly those in small agencies to to live and learn and get better at what they do both uh, in terms of their skills within their agency, but also, of course, for their clients. Rishad, you were talking earlier about uh, how we're in an incredibly fragile environment societally right now. And yet, I want to connect that to the future of marketing is in a renaissance. What would be three 
tips you have for strategists in agencies to help overcome the fragility that we live in and our brands do and start to think about the renaissance of marketing. Is that a fair ask? Yes. So I, I, would, I would basically say number one is to understand what customers or consumers are likely to stop or start doing or do more of or do less of. So to combine all kinds of research analysis insights on that, which is getting a picture of what, very simply, what would, would they expect more or less? Stop and start. That's number one. With that being said, number two is to look at the fragility of your business, your brand. So what are some of and your own? So it's like an earthquake is it your business. So what are the fault lines that have been revealed? On the other hand, certain things have been very resilient. There may be new opportunities have been opened as well as new threats. So it's like a SWAT, but a SWAT built around this event, if that makes sense. And study that. So that's like looking inside. And then to work together with your teams to brainstorm what you would do to either meet those customer or consumer needs, which is which you've now decided are important, uh, or second is having finished the first two, just put together an approach that can destroy your own brand or service. So what would you create that could destroy your product, your brand or service? And do that with only three constraints in mind, which is it has to be legal, it has to use today's technology, and it has to break over, open, uh, break even in three years. And as a result, what people will come up with are amazing marketing and business ideas. Which you can then leverage to the brand and the world they're in today to think about how do they shift as you talk yes, about. Yes, yes. Excellent. Yes, so it starts with the customer, looks at your stuff, then puts constraints that are only about legal technology and three-year break even and none other. And so then you're actually talking at the consumer level, the business level, and the idea level, and not either at a media level, a creative level, or a communication level, which can come later. Great perspective. Kathy, how about you? Well, I, I learn, I lean towards, you know, businesses pursuing things that are illegal, but that's just me. <laughs> uh, but, I, well, I think one thing I would just, just add or adorn among Rashad's points is that I think one thing that we've really noticed is how quickly consumers are really cha changing in terms of trending topics much more quickly than they were before the pandemic. And while I think that will slow down to some degree, the need to stay close is really, really imperative and on a super ongoing basis. And again, I'll, I'll share another anecdote. So I did a, another interview with the CMO of Kohl's and they partnered with Pinterest and Facebook and noticed that the trending kind of topics on those platforms went from changing every month or two to every day or two during the pandemic, which led them to have to reevaluate a lot of their internal processes and a lot of their creative and how quickly they were producing it and all that. But that was clearly something that, that, that they had not seen before. So I just think that communicating and keeping very close to your customers on a really, really day-to-day -day basis and being able to respond to that is something that, that may be very well necessary. And, and one, one thing that has also come out of these CMO interviews is that, that 
kind of the meetings between upper layers of management, the marketing team and other parts of, of the organization, that, that activity seems to have shaped up a lot, which, which also has, has actually sped up a lot, which gets back to the whole thing again about staying close to you know, the, your customer and the insights because they're changing maybe much faster than you realize. Because that, of course, I guess ties back to what you said earlier about the fundamental point for marketers to really understand about the role of agility to to change their organization and their decision making, as you were talking about earlier. Yeah. Cool. So, Kathy, let's stay with you. Is there, based on the, the broad nature of the conversation we've had, is there something else that I haven't covered that we should, that you feel would matter? Again, thinking about helping agency strategists. I... I do think, and not to say we haven't really touched on this, but is is really to realize what we're in here for the long, long term. And I think entering this whole era when we went into kind of lockdown, it first happened very rapidly. And I think everybody thought, oh, we'll be working from home for two months. And then uh, we'll go back back to the office, and it takes it for as fast as the initial shock was. It's only now that I think people are kind of realizing, wow, this is the, I'm coming out of this in a whole different place than I went into it in, and the the only thing that it equates equates um, that I can equate to this really is 9/11, in the in that at some point there were things that just fundamentally changed and you might not even think of them as tracking back to this moment, but in fact they do, that, that, that it's just a ripple that goes out and out and out and out. And I don't know if that's life advice or a strategist advice, but it's just to realize how, how long-term and significant this is in terms of ourselves and our lives and what we buy and how we prioritize things. So I don't know if that at all answers the question. But that's the answer. (laughs) Yeah, and for sure. I mean, honestly, the way I hear your answer makes me, you know, appreciate again that this this is, as as Rashad talks about, the new strange. The new strange is not a temporary action. This is a new way of recalibrating. And I think I always believe, by the way, that the the role of agency strategists is to create belief, uh, a, a permanent sense of optimism that we can empower and we can create better change. And I think sometimes we just need to have the context of this is... This is not a temporary thing we need to overcome. This is a long term, as you've said, of now we need to find ways to, to add back in that level of optimism and, and a belief of change. Well, it is very optimistic, I will say, to, to, to contemplate how quickly people can adapt. And that, in some ways, is really heartening to see that we think we're stuck in our ways, but if we're forced to adapt, we will. You know, and that brings me all the way back to uh, where we began, Rishad, at the beginning of talking about the dramatic change that suddenly we had to. So all of the talk about change was suddenly upon us and, and we've adapted really well, Kathy, like you said. Rishad, um, closing, is that, is that a topic or a thought that uh, perhaps I haven't teased out well enough yet? I think, you know, you've, you've covered every element of it. I would say that it is extremely important for everybody who is a planner to also recognize that at some particular stage, to Kathy's point, doing and putting stuff into market is as important 
as overthinking it because correct. things are changing so fast yeah that, that at some particular stage you've got to get going and i think there's this there's a bias towards action and that bias towards action filter will be used at you will also be used to evaluate the planning departments you know it's very true you know all the conversations we're having today you know all across uh, the, the the agency world are about how do we manage the agility and speed with some level of, of depth of rigor okay because gone are the days of, of months to, to determine what's right um, and I think we're going to see a lot more action trial learn optimizing and carry on try again right yes it's it's the, it's the infamous uh, Beckett you know fail fail again fail better uh -huh. and it's either gonna be a really scary world or if you grab it with both hands Kathy like you're saying it is it's an optimistic it's a fantastic opportunity for us all oh, and there is one yeah, trick yeah. it's not an overall thought but it's a one little planning trick that I would suggest and if any, every time everybody uses it and finds it sensible they should buy a copy of my book <laughs> but this is what the planning trick is that for the first time you know, remember Gibson William Gibson said the future is already here but not evenly distributed that is actually happening today. So if you want to see what COVID-19 opening looks like, you should Google South Korea and COVID-19 and see what the restaurants there look like and see what the malls look like and see what schools look like. So in an odd way, we are going to be living in multiple timelines because even though everybody's gone through this in a different world, but because of different cultures, government systems and physical geography, Literally, we're going to be living in different types of zoos. And so you can actually see people in action in different zoos from one country by just Googling and looking at them. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting point. Uh, you know, I was just talking with my son an hour ago about about the bars closing down in Texas and Florida. And it's really weird because I said, you know, it's where it I feel like they're all where we were. In, here in New York that's right. um, two months ago. That's you know, right. The sad part being like, couldn't you learn from us? It's a little peculiar what you do. You look at the news and think, what are you doing? You saw, you saw us doing the same thing and the implications that had months ago. Yeah, so, but it is, it is very strange because it does feel like I, it, 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 you look at the headlines and you look at the problems and they're the exact same problems we had, had two months ago and God forbid we won't see them again, but it's sad that people um, you know, have to learn it in their own backyard instead of uh, learning it through through all of the different outlets available to learn these things. <laughs> Guys, this has been uh, absolutely fantastic. I really appreciate you uh, making the time. And uh, as ever, uh, I've loved just uh, listening in and being a tiny part of uh, a very vibrant conversation, a lot to learn from. So thank you very much. <laughs>